0: Hey, Bruno, up here. Yes, last week you were king, but today I hold the scepter, so I am king. And I have my very own decree to read. It goes as follows. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. I, the Eric L. Jones, first of my name, declare today as king that I will do and say as I please. Even my name means king. Look it up. So, I will do what I want to do because I run things in my house. Honey, I'm running the dishwasher. Honey, I'm running the washing machine. Honey, I'm running the vacuum cleaner now. I am the boss. Therefore, I shall stuff my face with all of my favorite foods. Things like lasagna, steak, my wife's delicious fried chicken, or whatever else I so desire.
1: Here's your dinner. A salad?
0: What happened to my fried chicken? Um the doctor said your blood pressure's high, your cholesterol's high, you're eating a salad. Yeah. Thank you. I will spend time and money as I chew on things like trips and entertainment, vacations and the latest fashions. It's vacation time, baby. We'll be going nowhere. Here are these bills, they need to be paid. All of them? Yes, all of them. That's where your money's going. It's not fair. I will go to bed at 3 a.m. and sleep in until 10 a.m. the next morning. I will binge watch the latest Netflix show and not feel guilty. I will also surf the internet and waste time on social media as much as I want. Eric, it's too late for Netflix. Turn the television off. And don't get on your phone. If I so choose, I will have an attitude with anyone who dares to interrupt my me time when watching my World Series champions, the Washington Nationals. So me time. My life, no one can stop me except God Almighty. Let's hear it for King Eric. King Eric. King Eric. King Eric. King Eric. King. Eric. King. Eric. 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 Mm? Get up. It's time to go to work. You mean tell me I was dreaming?
1: Guess I ain't king. No, he is not king. All right, give him a hand. Give a hand for King Eric. You guys might say, okay, wait a minute, that looks a little bit silly. Okay, well, but how real can that be sometimes in our hearts? How often do we think we can make the decisions whenever we so desire to in our lives? Uh, we, you know, we, we can speak for it metaphorically. We may not say that I'm the king of my life. But sometimes we might say things like, you know, I, I can make this decision. It's my decision to make. Or, you know, I don't know why that person was thinking it was theirs. I own that. Whatever the case is, in each one of us, there's that king or that queen in us that wants to run and control our lives. And last week, we talked about the holding of the scepter. We understood because when we're talking about Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of lords and we see this, that at Christmas, we're talking about the king that was born the king of Israel. And as we think about it in our own lives, we have to ask the question as we entitled this sermon series, Unleashing the King, which king are we unleashing? The King Bruno, the King Eric, the king or queen or whomever? Are we unleashing the king of kings and the Lord of lords in our lives? Because in order for that to happen, one of the kings has to surrender the scepter. And as we think about the scepter, last week we talked about holding on and holding to the scepter and holding on to and the grip of it. And now today what we want to do is we want to talk about the loosening of our grip on the scepter. Because there's there's something going on between the holding and the loosening. The loosening doesn't mean you're letting go, it's just loosening a grip, but you're still holding on. And that's something that in the life of a believer, we battle with that. There's a battle going on between those two. It's whether to hold it and not to hold it, or at least to loosen it some. And as we think about it, and we're looking at the life of Jesus in the time of the disciples and the time when he was here on earth, and he came for the purpose that he came where Father sent him to know that the, you know, the kingdom was to be set here on earth that a kingdom that was to start would be a king who would be the king of that kingdom and that's Jesus and he even came in Matthew 3 and it says repent for the kingdom is at hand he came because the father sent him for a purpose we understand that the father sent him as believers to die to die to be buried to raise from the dead and to offer us eternal life to appease the father's wrath against sin so we have to understand that in each of us though We have to make that choice, but in each of us who are believers, we're still holding on to the scepter because there's something in us that's saying we're king, we're king, we're king. And so I wanted to ask a couple of questions here as we are going to look into a narrative on chapter 14 of Matthew. One of those questions is this, when tough times come, do we tighten our grip on the scepter? When tough times come, um, do we seek for rest? Is God's blessing interpreted in our circumstances? Meaning when things go well, does that mean that God is for us? When things don't go so well and things are hard and trials come, do we think God's not blessing us? Um, How about Christians in third world countries who struggle daily in prisons for the sake of the gospel and have to surrender their wills to the Lord? What are they doing? Are they holding on to their scepters? Are they hoisting their scepters like we talked about last week? Or are they learning to the say that whatever circumstance I'm in, I need to ultimately surrender my scepter? Now, you might think, okay, wait a minute. The scepter, what does that all mean? Metaphorically speaking, we want to be in control of our own lives. We all do that. And we're challenged with that. In our marriages, with our children, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, with family members, control seems to be some of that struggle. We want to hold on and tighten our grip. Sometimes it could just be that God, we want preferences in our lives. And when God doesn't give it to Him, to us, we just hold on tight. You know, I even kind of I, this is something I say for myself, but maybe this can relate some. But in the life of a believer, is it possible? These are called, I call these the three C's. We can complain, we can com- cry to God, or we can command God. Well, one of the things is that. We ask, the is it possible when we complain to God that we're ultimately pointing everything in our lives toward God? So when we complain about situation in our lives and we don't like it, we hold tight onto that, we hold the grip tight onto that scepter because we don't like what he's doing. So what we do is we, we begin to complain and we're really saying, you're a bad God, I don't like the way you're doing th- loud things in my life. Or could it be that we cry, and I don't mean literally crying, but like screaming, crying, like complaining. And we're saying to the Lord, you know what, or saying to others, you know, we we cry and complain in order to manipulate someone or even God to try to do things the way that we want them to be done. Or is it possible that we even at times we can command God, we can command others, because we like our scepter, we like our kingdom, although my kingdom is very small, the land is very small, and it barely could fit me in it. But even if I want to be King Bruno, King Bruno can say, hey, I like it my way, so I'm going to do it. So God, you got to do it my way. I'm holding the scepter, not you. I'm the king of my life. See, which one do we want God to unleash in us and through us? Is it King Bruno, is it king or queen of you, or is it Jesus himself? And so those questions have to be asked. But then I ask another question, and it's when tough times come, could it be God setting up an opportunity for his rescue? We don't know because sometimes God's allowing trials and tribulations and difficulties in our lives, and sometimes we tighten the grip because we're afraid God is setting something up in the future for us. And so we have to ask that question because we don't know. We don't know the mind of God and what he's doing and what he's allowing, but we sure know about our scepter and how we like to hold on to it and be in control. And so God is, God is doing that work. When you look at chapter 14, if you would turn with me to chapter 14 of Matthew, we have to understand that the motif, it's a narrative. And in each genre in the scriptures, even New Testament, Old Testament, there are certain backgrounds and certain writings here. And in this one, this is a narrative that Matthew is writing, a story of the lives of the disciples with Jesus. And as we look at chapter 14, we understand that Jesus is traveling around. We talked about it last week. Remember, each particular gospel identifies who Jesus is. In Matthew, it's the king. The audience are the Jews. To Mark, it's the servant, a mix of Gentiles and Jews. To Luke, it's the perfect man. Jesus is the perfect man. And then we see John as deity of Christ. So in Matthew... It's highlighting the king, and Jesus himself coming here on earth, he's walking and being sent by the Father for a purpose to identify himself and who he is, but also to show forth the disciples that they're trying to understand, because they're saying that he is the son of God, he claims to be the son of God, they recognize him, they're following him, but they really haven't seen what he can do, and now Jesus is setting something up. See, the father's sending the son to set something up, to show forth to the disciples that miraculous things are about to happen. But as that is about to happen, he's unfolding this narrative with the purpose of setting it up to show forth his disciples who he truly is. And so as we look at it, let's look at chapter 14, verse 22 and 23, and let's just read it because we're going to look at it two different perspectives. Let's read it from God's perspective here. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat, that's Jesus, to go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after, verse 23, he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, the word dismissed is mentioned twice. Actually, in another version, it's dispersed. But in the Greek, it's emphatic position. In the Greek, identifies that Matthew is trying to bring attention to it. So what is that attention? In the narrative, in the intention to it is to say that something is being set up. God the Father setting up Jesus to do something here. And he's setting up his disciples. One is that he sends them off to go on a boat. And then he goes off and dismisses the crowds and goes off to pray. So he dismisses them and then says that the crowds have to go away because I'm about to do something. And so what we have to understand is the word means to permit or cause someone to leave a particular location. To send away, to dismiss. So the word cause in this Greek definition, is quite interesting because I think the Father is planning something through the Son. And we have to understand that as God is doing something, He's setting, setting up what we call a miracle. Because in the miracles that were performed on earth, it would display and identify Jesus as the Messiah. Now, what is God setting up in our lives, in your life? Is God setting something up? Is there a struggle, a difficulty, a trial you're going through right now? You're not getting it yet. It's just God setting it up, but you you don't have a clue as to what's being set up. You don't even understand. It's a difficulty. You're at the end of your rope. Your candle's burning on both ends. You're tired. You're exhausted. You don't know what is going to happen. You're financially struggling. You're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling with your children. You're struggling at the work, at your job. You want to quit. You said you've had enough. Lord, please, not again. You start to hold on tight and saying, see, Lord, you're not really controlling my life. I need to control it because every time I try to get you to control, it's not going well. So you don't even have a chance to loosen up the scepter because you see your life and you're just holding on. See, God is trying to set something up for each one of us. Because why? He wants to show us he's, that his son is king. But if you and I don't loosen up that scepter, we won't understand that he truly is king. So before we can understand, we might know intellectually, God is saying, I want to allow something in your life. So you just got to loosen it up a little bit. Now, loosening up doesn't mean you're letting go. It's a process. But the loosening up may be something you're battling with. It's the holding. It's the loosening. It's the loosening. It's the holding. You're going back and forth. And if it's a process, that's the battle. But See, the Lord is sending them off. And as he sends off these crowds, Jesus is going to pray. Now we understand something in the Luke narrative in the writings of Luke. He writes out that Jesus, when he went away and he's prayed all night, he was choosing his disciples in Luke chapter five. So this was something important for him to go away and pray prior to this event that's about to happen. And so we have to understand that this, there's a setting up going on here. Now, when we understand, and what we have to understand is the loosening of the grip. Can mean a couple of things here. What we're going to see here is. It means one thing. It means giving up control. So when you're holding it tight. You are in control. At least we think we are. Because we're the king. I'm hoisting it. I'm in control. But really deep down I'm not. I have fear. Things are going on. I want to be in control. But the loosening is giving up. It doesn't mean you're letting it go and dropping it. It just means you're loosening up. You're starting to believe that God can do something here. And so giving up control is an opportunity for God to be at work in our lives. Losing control, we're going to see, or loo- loosening it up, and losing control can mean God could be in control. Because he's sovereign. He's for, his for exhausting knowledge of this future is there as a sovereignty. He knows what's ahead. He sees it. See, God is setting something up. We don't see it, but God does. But for you and I, when we know that and we believe that he is, then we loosen it up. And control is hard because control means that I have to believe God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I mean, look, when, you, when we revisit again this passage here, this particular verse here, we have to understand that the letting go is God is setting something up and we have to believe him for it. We see that even in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus told Peter to drop the nets. He had to let go of the nets. To see the miracle there were nets that were so-called night nets and he was asking him to drop them down during the day it's like lord but uh okay lord i'll do it yes lord obey and then he says yes you are lord god almighty and i think that's where we have to understand that he's trying to show forth so when we think we're in control really jesus is the one who's in control look with me to a similar narrative um, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus is in the boat. He's fallen asleep. The disciples, they're seeing the waves coming and the storm is coming. And they didn't know what to do. And they're crying out, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. And Jesus responds. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a calm. See, the word rebuke means he has a strong disapproval of something or someone. He disapproved of what was going on in the weather, and he had the ability to say, be calm, and it was calm. See, it was just another explicit, clear, vivid picture of Christ's deity and his authority as being able to be over creation because he is the creator. And so we have to understand that loosening our grip on the scepter means giving up control. Here's another thing that it does. It's challenging our comforts. I know you might say, wait a minute, challenging our comforts. Well. Now, you are got to understand here, in verse 23 and 24, I want to read it to you again. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountainside to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But then it says, the boat by this time was long away from the land. Now, the land... You have to understand a couple of things here. The disciples were not uncomfortable being on land. No one should be. We feel comfortable we feeling like we're in control. But being on the sea, it wasn't uncomfortable for them. Now, for a guy like me who almost drowned, I'm a little nervous about being on a boat. I had someone after the first or nine o'clock service tell me, Hey, if you ever need to get on a boat, I'll be there for you. I have my own boat and I have, you I was like, That's great. I said, But you got to make sure I got have a life jacket. And, you know, when you have to understand that when, you, when someone like these guys are fishermen, they're always on the boat, it's a comfortable place. But that wasn't the place that they were feeling uncomfortable or God was trying to challenge their comforts. It's when they got on that boat and they went off. And by the way, the long way in the Greek, it means stadion, which means 607 feet away from the land. It's two football fields. So far enough away where they could come back and maybe swim back if they were good at it. But, uh, you know, far enough away to where God has a reach, but not too far that they can't see that there could be help. And so here they were in a boat, but then it says in verse 24, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Now the waves are coming and the winds are coming, and now the comfort becomes fearful. Now fear sets in. Fear sets in because when we are holding that scepter, we're in control, but when we loosen it up and we're not in control, we tighten it back up. When the winds come, when the difficulties come, when the trials come, when we don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense, when God sets something up, but we don't understand it. He's given us an opportunity, but we have to figure it out. We've got to be able to prove it. We've got to be able to say, Lord, wait a minute. I'm not letting it go To I know what in the world are you doing with my life. God's like, you just got to loosen it up, and I'll show you, but in due time. No, Lord, you got to show me, and then I'll loosen it up. God's like, but I'm God. No, it doesn't matter. I got to hold it on to it because we're afraid. We're afraid of trying new things. We're afraid if people see the real me, I'm done. We're afraid, just like when we were in school. Do you recall the times when we used to go to school and we had to take tests? Um, and when you had to take the test, it was the unknown. When the teacher said, no, oh, it's easy test. Look, I already gave you a pretest, It's going to be fine. You're like, what if they change it? Uh, What if you just change all the questions and all the, what if they're just setting us up? And here you get, you're afraid. I remember when I was in Bible college and we would pray, Lord, please recall everything that I studied. I studied five minutes. Recall everything that I studied in five minutes. Please, Lord, in the name of you, do a miracle, Lord. Give me an A. There was a few, you know, other letters I had that weren't so dandy. So, so the idea is that, but what are the things that happen? So when we hold on the grip real tight, we're afraid. Here are 10 things that I looked up an article that 10 top things people are afraid of. This was a couple of years ago, excuse me. Death, fear of death, the fear of the dark, the fear of not going to heaven, the fear of being assaulted, the fear of the unknown. I don't know what this one is. The fear of Justin Bieber's music. Some of you may not know, and most of you do. I mean, I didn't know what that meant. Loved ones dying, pain, failing. We have a fear, and God wants to call us to courage. I mean, even Mark Twain, he said this so eloquently, it just hit the point. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. See, too often what we think is that when we're afraid, we're supposed to never be afraid. We tell our children, don't be afraid. Is it that the fear is gone? Or is that God in Christ, when he allows us to overcome that fear, it's his power that, and we know in 1 John four eighteen that perfect love casts out fear. So the love of God, when we have a relationship with God, God begins to help us resist it, not allow it to have mastery over it, but the fear still could be there that's the challenge for each one of us that's the challenge that consists in us because we have to give it up see god's challenging so the loosening of our grip is not just giving up control and the challenging of our comforts i think thirdly too it's the changing of our circumstances now again you may say now wait a minute meaning god has to change circumstances well change is difficult Isn't it? I mean, why is it so difficult? Because times are changing by the second. The change of days are every 24 hours. The change of our clothes, the change of our minds. Some people just change mistresses, baseball pitchers, throw a change up to get a a hitter off balance. We change ideas, but we are still afraid of change. We see change all around us. We see the seasons are changing. People are changing. But God wants to allow us to understand what does it mean to be changed. You know, sometimes God needs to change the scenery. He needs to change our perspective. He needs to change our plans. He needs to change our circumstances in order to get our attention. See, that's why God uses change for that purpose. Because sometimes change will make us uncomfortable and then God has to ultimately fill the void in our lives. He wants to break us for the purpose of Changing us for his glory, for his honor, for his praise. See, we definitely, we would definitely loosen up that scepter if we truly understood that Jesus ultimately needs to be set free in our lives. I mean, look at, again, verse 25, as I read 24 already. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the scene. Now, wait a minute. What? This is 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, Jesus is coming to them 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know about you, but I can't hang that long anymore. I get to about 10 or 11 o'clock, and I'm sleeping, watching TV or something. I'm sleeping in the mid-discussion. Mid I can't hang on. But 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is coming. And as Jesus is coming, these guys are in this crazy storm. The waves and the, and, 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 and the wind is coming against them. In fact, I want to show you a little clip on that on a video. What that What does it take? It's that fear. We understand the narrative is quite clear. Peter was gripped with fear when he saw around him. See, when we loosen our grip on the scepter, we need to realize a couple things here. When it's struggling, when it's difficult, and we have to loosen it up because we need to trust God just like Peter did. We have to understand one thing. God is running toward us, not away from us. Sometimes when difficulties come, when trials come, when it doesn't seem possible, when when trials come, we seem to tighten it up. The Lord's saying, loosen it up. I'm always there for you. Because when trials come, we think he's away from us. When the circumstances are hard, we think, well, Lord, why did you leave me? I mean, why are you abandoning me? See, that's not the case. The Lord is always pursuing us in relationship. He loves us. See, the purpose why he sent his son was to have a relationship with us. He reaches out his hand all the time. Just as Peter went to go step, and he loosened up his scepter, and he trusted God, although it's a process because he, ultimately, we know he sank, that Jesus reached out his hand. He goes, I'm right here. I didn't leave you alone in the storm. Remember, I'm here. I'm coming to you. I'm pursuing you. I came out to the storm. See, God doesn't allow us to be in a storm and then he just leaves us. He never abandons us. He's always present and he wants to be there and he's reaching out his hand. But sometimes when we're struggling, we're afraid to loosen up the scepter because we don't think God is there. We think when trials come, we think he's abandoned us. It's the opposite. He's always pursuing us. Just as Jesus was pursuing those who were on, the disciples that were on that boat. God is pursuing us. He is always running toward us. Secondly, we have to understand too, when we see this in the scriptures, is that God wants to increase our faith, in our faith, not crouch down in fear. See, when you see Matthew 26, Matthew 14, 26, it says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. The word means to cause an inward turmoil. It gives the idea of stir up, disturb, unsettle, throw into confusion. So what was happening was they didn't get it. Here they are, the winds and the and the rain and, and the storm is coming heavy and moving the boat and they're feeling uncomfortable and they're holding on to their scepter and here comes Jesus walking on the water at three o'clock in the morning. What? I mean, it's like, wait a minute, this is a miraculous thing. Jesus is walking on water, not possible for man, but only possible with God. And here they are, two football fields away, and they're in this storm, and they don't know what to do, and they're crying out, and here's Jesus coming, walking on water. Now, you got to understand, that doesn't make any sense. But Jesus was setting something up. God the Father said, We're going to do this. Because now they see that he's the Messiah. He's walking on water. How about us? When God allows struggle and difficulty and trials and tribulations, he's saying, loosen it up. I want to show myself to you. Loosen it up. I want to build my relationship with you. Yes, you know it intellectually, but I want to show myself to you. Will you allow me? And here God is doing that work in Peter's life because why? Peter was one of the three that was going to be starting the church. So he had to experience what the Lord was doing in his life. He had to see that in impossible situations, God could come through, that the son was going to come through because he holds the scepter. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And you and I have got to learn to drop the scepter because then when the king is unleashed in us, God can do impossible things through us because all things are possible through him. And see, that's what we have to understand. God is doing that work. But sometimes we're afraid. And God wants to build in us that faith to trust him. Because in order to conquer fear, we have to face it. we got to face that fear knowing that God ultimately, by loosening that grip. We've got to believe God by saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust and start to go toward you. But sometimes in that loosening, we go back and hold it. It's kind of like, okay, Lord, I trust you just a little bit. I don't know, Lord, and that's that back and forth battle. It's okay. It's a process. But ultimately, God wants to get us to the place when we drop it. Because when we drop it, hands off. Hands are off. But even letting go, we start to let go and we're still able to catch it. God's saying, I really ultimately want you to drop it. Because each one of us are holding on to it. It's hard for us. Lastly, what I want to see is that God wants us to be courageous, not cowardly. If you look at this passage again, when you're seeing, when we saw the narrative, that it says that, but, but immediately, in verse 27, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. you know what the word, it is I there? Ego eimi. In the Greek, it's the I am God. When Jesus said in John eight fifty-eight, before Abraham, I am God. He's saying, I am Yahweh, I am curious. I am the Messiah, I'm the incarnate God you've been looking for, I'm the Messiah, Israel, you've been waiting for, I am the King, Jesus himself. And even in Isaiah chapter 43, 10, it was saying that God, the God of Israel said, fear not, for I am your God. Jesus was saying, here I am, the King, hoisting it up, it is I. It is I, Peter. You've been looking for me. You know what? It's when we see God in the midst of our struggle and our difficulty, when he's setting something up, it's we got to loosen up that scepter so God can show forth his son and Jesus can say, hey, Jimmy, it is I. It is I who wants to work in your life. Will you loosen up your scepter just a little bit? And that's what he was showing Peter and the disciples. That's why Peter was clear when he saw that Jesus walking on water, he knew that Jesus had to be the Messiah. Because through miraculous dunamis works, God identifies himself through his son. That's the beauty of Christ, the Messiah. That's what we hope for every day, but we have the answer to life. What are we doing with it? God wants to build that courage in us. He wants to challenge us that through difficult times. I mean, courage means to to be firm, resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances, to be courageous, to be enheartened. We will never gain courage in the Lord unless we face our fear. Courage is what God gives us in order to deal with fear. It's never the absence, but always the courage that God gives us to carry us. Because ultimately, he's carrying us through it. It's important for us to see. Because, see, when we focus on our circumstances more than on Christ, it will result in the following. It will result in fear. I mean, look at at what happened. He said, come. So Peter went out to the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw... The wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. See, the sinking was because he was moved by the circumstances and struggles around him. He was touched by the wind. He was touched by the storms. See, we know when we're able to handle certain things or God's able to work through us is when struggles come, when tests come. And we're still able to get through it. That's when we know God is at work. And we're able to be challenged with that. But when it's easy to walk with the Lord when there's no struggles. It's most difficult when trials come and then we have to deal with it. And that's why often what I do is I'm holding on to my scepter because I want to control it. I only want to allow God to work as far as I want him to work. I only want to, I'll put him in that box until I allow him to work. God's trying to do that. But God wants to expand our faith, not keep it small in a box. He wants us to expand so when we do, we can lead others. See, the purpose why God's setting something up in our lives, he's setting something up, is because he wants us to grow so we can be a blessing to someone else. He wants us to be used of him so when we experience the beauty of God, we can share it with others. See, that's what it's about. But he was afraid. The word Fear, again, is apprehensive state, anxious, worried, fearful, just, just the winds around him. And then, secondly, there's doubt. There's doubt. I mean, just again, look at verse 31 and 32. It says this, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, O ye of little faith, why do you doubt? Because we doubt because we're looking at ourselves as the king. I doubt and hold tight to the scepter when I think King Bruno's the king, but I loosen it up when I realize that he's the king. You know, it's funny. We go back to Eric's little skit. At the beginning, I don't know if anybody watched me, I took off the crown and I took off the robe and I just laid down the scepter. But really what I was doing was I was saying, I'm no longer king. I haven't made Jesus king yet. But I'm no longer king. Someone else is king. Because you know what happens in relationships? When we're fighting over who's king, we're not looking to the king. We're just fighting back and forth over who's got the scepter, who doesn't. It's that fight. Who's king? I'm king. You're king. Every marriage, every relationship in conflict, it's because marriages are fighting over who's the king or queen in that relationship. We got on to say that the strength of a marriage comes when you have that triangle. God's on top. Each one is feeding off of the Lord, makes a strong foundation. And that's in any relationship. We have to surrender knowing that it's God and God alone. And so God is doing that work. But doubt, this is what happens with doubt. Like James said it. But let him ask in faith, because with no doubting for The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Because see, what doubting does is we're undecisive. We don't know. We go back and forth. We're not sure. We're thinking, you know, I'm not settled in my mind. I can't make a decision. I don't know what. I'm out of control. That's what ends up happening with doubt. God doesn't desire that for us. He wants us to see him and his son as the true king. That's why when we loosen our grip on the scepter, we can see the true king. This is what happened to them. In Matthew 14, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Going, you know what, Jesus? You are the son of God. You are the king. You own the scepter. I will bow down before you. See, worship is prostrate in our hearts. It could be a physical thing. Worship is saying, I bow down before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you, Jesus, to be unleashed in my life. No longer King Bruno. I want the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it takes that surrendering, that bowing down, that saying, I no longer control the scepter in my life. And see, what happens is when we grip it and we loosen and grip it, it's that battle. See, Jesus said it this way, too, and I'm just going to read verse 16. When Jesus said, who do they say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, your ego, a me. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, it's so funny. I, I saw this... Um, It's just, it's telling, this video I'm about to share with you, they showed the picture of Peter looking back at his life on earth before he would die. And I just love it because it shows the battling and the challenging, or the challenges in their hearts prior to him realizing for sure that he truly is the king. I want you to just look at this video for just a minute. today... They called you king. They think you are the messiah.
0: Who do you think I am? You are the son of God. What if he's not the one? We're risking our lives. For what? He has shown us his power. We must have faith in him. Don't be afraid. Trust in God. Trust in me also. You know the way to where I'm going. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. the beginning and the end. My lord, I had been
1: expecting death to
0: come. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. I am making everything new. may the grace of the Lord be with all God's people amen
1: take, I've seen 30 years of my life, God doing a work in me, trying so hard to hold on to the scepter, coming to realize that he truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When I see my life and I see what I used to be and what I am today, I don't even know who that person is anymore. God has done a work in me and continues to but it took a lot of work and continues to, to letting go of this scepter. I have battles of just loosening it up. <laughs> I have to daily be reminded I have to drop it before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords every day. I want Jesus to be unleashed in my life. How about you? What difficulty, what trial, what storm, what wind, what's rocking your boat is it your pride, arrogance, selfishness? Is it your fear, your worry, your concern that people are going to see the real you? Or is it, I just don't know. We've got to let this ultimately drop. See, God's got to do that work. You can't pretend in front of him. You can pretend in front of all of us. That's great. But you can't pretend in front of him. But he's so patient and merciful with each one of us that he's willing to do that work. I just want to encourage you that God wants to start that work of surrender in each one of us. As we consider communion this morning, as we think about the gospel, we think about Jesus, the blood that was shed, the breaking of his body, we come this morning recognizing that we really come with an obedience but as an ordinance of our church, we we're reminded of the body that was broken, the body that was mangled, the, the surrender of Jesus to die as a perfect sacrifice for sin, and the willingness to shed his blood so that through the Father, his, his wrath being appeased through this sacrifice, Jesus now, Jesus now we understand is the Messiah who came to die for sin to save us, to be forgiven of sin, to have the assurance of eternal life, to give us hope, to give us hope to all mankind because all mankind live in sin. And so this beauty of, this, of this, this supper is a reflection, the symbols that we're about to take and the elements we're about to take symbolizing that Christ alone is the one who could appease the Father's wrath against sin. So as we think of that today... As you're going to come up, we want to encourage you to consider that and to sit, when you come to get it, to sit down and just reflect on some areas in your life of sin, some areas where you're struggling, and to confess that sin. However, if you do not know Jesus, you're not sure of your salvation, please do not come up. Stay seated. And if you would like the opportunity to come to know Christ, please come see me. We have some of our elders here too. Wouldn't it be an awesome Christmas present? to be able to come to Save in faith in Jesus Christ. That would be awesome. That would be the greatest gift of all for this season. It's not the present you're going to open up on Christmas Day. It's Jesus because he is the king of kings. If you can unwrap that present and find out he's the king of kings, you're in good company. And so I want to encourage you to just stay, remain seated. But for those who will come in just a moment, receive these elements, go back to your seats and reflect. So let me take a moment and let me just pray for you before you do so. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us, as we at Grace Church do it monthly, of the body and the blood of Jesus. Reminding us of the gospel, reminding us of what you, Father, were willing to give up your only son, for you to give up your son to die, and that it would appease your wrath against sin as a propitiation. But it, Lord Jesus, thank you for being willing to do so, to be obedient to the point of death. Thank you, Father, for providing that sacrifice for us, for sin, so that through us believing in the person and work of Jesus, we can now be forgiven of our sin and have the assurance of eternal life to receive the joy and the peace and the hope of Christ every day to live for you. Thank you for being patient and merciful to us. So, Lord, help us today to rejoice in our hearts. But as we are remembering the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, may we also reflect and confess our sin And come clean with you today. So Lord we love you. Uh, We surrender our lives to you and pray this would be a great time for us to reflect on you in Jesus name.